At the intersection of true crime and real estate, you'll find Crime Estate. I'm Heather. And my name is Elena. As real estate agents and true crime junkies, we view crimes through a different lens. So walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell. Hey. Hey, Elena. Good to see you. Good seeing you. We are here again today for another podcast. Mm -hmm. We actually had, the three of us had some new headshots done this week uh, to update our website a little bit. So by the time this airs, I'm sure they'll be there. Y'all go check it out. But I was asking our photographer, you know, if and she, she, well, actually she was listening to a true crime podcast when we showed up. Oh. And so I was like, well, what are you listening to? What are your favorites? And she turned me on to this podcast called Red Handed. And it's these two British ladies and I'm obsessed with them. Um, I think it's maybe on Wondery. We'll go back and check. Um, and of course, link to it in the show notes. But they're amazing and they speak in a British accent, which oh, makes fine. everything better. Absolutely. Should we do that the rest of this podcast? I mean, you can do it. I'm not doing it. I'm a little too Southern, I think. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'd butcher it for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Alana, mm-hmm. where are we in the country today? We're in California again. You really I like California guess crimes. I do. Yeah. I don't know. They just stick in my head more. I don't know. But there has been a few. Yeah. So today we're going to be in Coronado, California. Coronado is a small beach community in San Diego County. It's a tide island, meaning it is an island that is connected to a mainland or other island via a beach landform known as the Silver Strand. Is that where the Hotel Del Coronado is? Or yes. is that somewhere else? Okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. I've, I've been there. Oh, well, that's this, very bougie of you. I didn't stay there. I had lunch <laughs> there. Like, I've seen it. Yeah, so that is my hint for you guys when, you know, uh, I travel a lot, but, you know, I've got champagne tastes on not champagne budget. And so we have a lot of meals at really fancy, like, um, places. I was just in Ohio a couple weeks ago. And so we went to this, like, amazingly, like, $1,000 a night hotel for lunch, and we nice. walked around there. What a good idea! Um, and so, Hotel Coronado, we've had lunch and walked around it before. So then, this will be especially interesting too. You might have seen the home that this Ooh. event occurred. So, so Coronado is a beautiful community, and it's home to many notable people over the decades, including Scott Weiland, Orville Redenbacher, John McCain, and L. Frank Baum. So, as we do on every episode, let's talk about the house. Unlike in other episodes where we talk about the how the home has changed at the end of the story, this time I'd like to tell you how it changed before the event so you can get an idea of what the home was like at the time it was built and at the time of the event that we'll be discussing. Spreckles Mansion, also known as Spreckles Beach House. <laughs> just you have to, I just have to laugh. Spreckles. Spreckles. Like, spell this. S-P-R-E-C-K-E-L-S. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Spreckles. Yeah. It I'm, just... It makes me smile. (laughs) Well, good. I'll say it a lot during the podcast. Okay. Um, So it's located on three oceanfront lots spanning nearly a half acre, 115 feet of unobstructed ocean views. Holy cow. I know. So John D. Spreckles hired famed architect Harrison Albright to design the home for him in 1907. Apparently, John had some fear of earthquakes. So while most of the homes at this time were built out of wood, Albright built the home 1043 Ocean Boulevard out of steel-reinforced concrete. The original home, completed in 1908, had four bedrooms, six bathrooms, and approximately 6,600 square feet of living space. 
Inspired by the Italian Renaissance-style home, it featured a smooth stucco facade and a flat roofline. Spreckles Mansion is one of the oldest homes in Coronado and in 1982 was designated a Coronado Historical Landmark by the Coronado Historical Association. In 2006, the home received an official historic resource designation from the city of Coronado. Now, while John D. Spreckles built the home, he never lived there. Instead, he built a separate mansion nearby and gifted this mansion to his son, Klaus, as a wedding gift when he married Ellis Moon in 1910. Um, okay, there's so much awesome about that. Number one, I love how ahead of his time he was with the reinforced steel right. concrete. Yes. Um, I love that he gave his son a mansion yeah. for his wedding. Uh, oceanfront mansion. Did you get one? I didn't get one. Did you I get one? know, okay. no. Um, but Ellis Moon, what a I cool know, name is that? I know, in the, what, 1910, that's a very super cool name. I love it. I love it as well. When Klaus and Ellis moved in, they did some of their own additions, which included a 3,000 square foot guest house at the rear of the property. Because that wasn't big enough. Yeah, I'm looking at you, like 3,000 square feet guest house. Right. It's a lot bigger than a lot of people's Heck houses. yeah. I love it. I, I, I would have no problem. I will move into their guest house. They will never see me or my family. <laughs> so Klaus died in 1935, leaving the home to Ellis until her death in 1968. The home was then passed to their daughters, Tookie and Claire. Also cool names. Tookie yes. and Claire. It remained in the Spreckles family until 1970 when it sold. Yeah, and... You know, my quick Googling mm -hmm. is there's a lot of things in San Diego named um, Spreckles. Yeah, he was it, very prominent. Yeah, yeah. It looks like he, um, in the late 1890s, John Spreckles, he was one of the most well-established and powerful men in San Diego. Um, and he, uh, oh, look, and he even controlled the Hotel Del Coronado there at one time. Um, and the San Diego streetcar mm -hmm. system, et cetera. So, yeah, so... I think that if you, it's probably a well-known name in oh, the city. Yeah, I, I saw one report that said that at the time it was known, Coronado was known as the city that Spreckles built. Oh, yeah. well, okay. Yeah, so it remained in the Spreckles family until 1970 when it sold. Since then, the home has gone through many updates and transformations, including a private courtyard with a pool and spa, a two-guest or servant apartment above the four-car garage, and a private gym. It also boasts 10 bedrooms, 11 bathrooms, and 10,500 square feet of living space, plus a 1,000 square foot basement. The home also has an extensive update on various features and technology. All of these updates of the home were done without affecting the original design and facade. That's incredible and so expensive to do when you're updating an older home mm -hmm. like that to go in and do it without ruining the character and the style of the house right. is, is really hard. And labor intensive and thus costly. So, oh, definitely. Even like a smaller, modest home here in Dallas to even update the electrical is thousands upon thousands of dollars. So, I can imagine a home yeah, like this. Absolutely. So, it is here in this iteration of 1043 Ocean Boulevard that we set our scene. In 2007, Spreckles Mansion made national news when six year old Max Shackney, son of Jonah Shackney, died. Jonah Shackney, founder and owner of Medesis, bought Spreckles Mansion in 2007 for $12.7 million. Okay, pause. What is Medesis and what is he doing to have $12.7 right. million? Because you want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, found, he owns a pharmaceutical company. Oh, they, okay. Um, from what I gather, they were the first ones to produce Restylane. Oh. Which I think is a, like, it's like a Botoxy thing. I think. Melanie, our Googler, is Restylane Botox. 
or I, filler? Not that I've heard of, but okay, well, something. You, okay. I will look it up. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. the the chances of me being in pharmaceuticals is out, so that ship has <laughs> sailed. And so, and just so he lives there with his young children. Yes, but not their mom. Correct. But we haven't gotten to that yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. So he lived there with his girlfriend of two years, Rebecca Sahau, six year old son Max, thirteen year old Ethan, and fourteen year old Gabby. Uh-huh. On the morning of Monday, July 11th, Jonah and Max drove Ethan and Gabby to the airport where they would get on a plane to meet their mother in Phoenix, Arizona. And just a few hours later, their lives would be forever altered. Shortly after Jonah and Max returned home, Jonah went to the gym, leaving Max in the care of Rebecca Zahal. What happens when the two are alone in the house will forever remain a mystery. It is, th- it is thought that Max, playing on the second floor, was either kicking a soccer ball around or maybe riding a scooter. We do know that whatever he was doing, he was moving fast and tripped and was thrown over the balustrade. Oh, I'm remembering this story now mm-hmm. that you're starting to tell it. But yeah. I didn't realize it was in like a famous mansion. Right. Yeah. And remind me what a balustrade is. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about balustrades for a minute for people, you know, who don't live in $12 million homes. Um, Alana gave me some notes here. Oh, I, I'm the, sorry. I, I, I didn't go. realize you I had have notes. some notes. Yes. So the Cambridge Dictionary says that a balustrade is a set of posts or a screen to prevent people from falling over the edge of stairs, a balcony, et cetera, often with a wooden metal or stone bar on top that you can hold. So, um, I mean, think of like a railing, a really fancy railing. Okay. Yep. I think we need to post some pictures of a really fancy balustrade. Yes, we will do that for sure. Yep. You got that exactly right, Heather, with with the notes. (laughs) I'm very good at doing (laughs) what I'm told. You're so good. (laughs) So that'll help with kind of the visual of what happened because apparently Max falls over the balustrade, apparently grabs on the chandelier with such force that it pulls loose from the ceiling and crashes and he crashes head first into the foyer floor, taking the massive chandelier with him. So he falls over, apparently grabs onto the chandelier, chandelier pulls from the ceiling. They're both on the ground from the second story. So Zahal, who was I'm in sh- the- You can't see uh, me, but I'm shaking my head. Like I, this, I'm, this is like my already big weird. fear. Like, like anytime that my kids are on a, like, um, a balcony or a railing or something like mm-hmm. that, I have a unusual um, fear of I, people falling over. Same. I have to be really careful where I sit at church in the balcony because if somebody oh. has a toddler and they're too close to the railing, I just, I can't even You're focus. Like I'm jumping just, all I, I'm constantly like reaching for the baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People don't appreciate it when you touch their children like that, <laughs> even if it's in good natured. You try to save their lives. Yeah. But still, it's they think it's weird, so. So Zahal, who was in the guest bathroom beneath the stairs that Max had just fallen from, heard the crash and rushed to him. She has stated that when she found Max, his scooter was lying on his left leg and there was broken glass surrounding him. Also, Zahal reported that Max was able to say Ocean before losing consciousness. So quick note, Ocean is a name of the family's 14-month-old Weimaraner. Weimar, how do you say that? It's a Weimar, Weimar, that's a hard one. Weimaraner. Yeah. Weimaraner. Mm. They're dog. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yes, their dog. Uh, that's horrifying. Yeah, and I'm I'm just trying to picture this, even though the picture is like I don't want to picture it. Um, but to have his scooter mm-hmm. and the broken glass, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 
we might get into it later, but there's all sorts of weird things about how he was found and how perhaps the shag flooring up on the second floor was too thick for him to be, to have been riding a scooter through there. And we don't know exactly what happened, but they're saying that it was a, eventually they'll say it's a terrible accident that this happened. Um, but it, it, it doesn't make sense in my head. But if, okay, so I'm thinking like, if this was a crime, mm-hmm. how does the chandelier come down? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I hate to speculate, but the only way I can see it happening is if someone was thrown over. Mm. And he grabbed for it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Rebecca, who was an experienced eye surgery technician, began administering CPR and called to her 13-year-old sister who was visiting from her home in Missouri to call 911. The 911 call came in at 10.10, and by 10.12, EMT arrived and found Max void of respiration. By the time the fire department arrived at 10.30, Max finally had regained a pulse after a devastating 25 minutes without. I can feel you tensing up. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's a young boy. Like, I'm, I'm particularly stressed about mm-hmm. right. things that happen to boys between the age of, like, 5 and 18. Right. Yeah. It's too close to home. So at some point during all of this, Rebecca made a frantic call to Jonah, who raced home and arrived in time to see Max being loaded into the ambulance. Upon arriving at Ratty Children's Hospital, Max was placed in a medically induced coma, having suffered massive brain trauma. Police located Dina Shackney, Jonah's second wife, and Max's mother, and brought her to the hospital where she stayed with Max all night. The following day, Rebecca went to the airport basically all day, picking up and dropping off people. Her sister, Zena, flew back to Missouri. Dina's twin sister, Nina, flew in, as did Jonah's brother, Adam Shackney, a tugboat captain from Memphis. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just a random detail. A tugboat, tugboat captain yeah. from, sorry. It's nothing to do with the story, but it just was random. Well, Doesn't it sort of remind you, though, of like the fourth Manning brother? You know, it's like everybody else was a, a superstar athlete and then there's this other guy. And then you've got like a head of a pharmaceutical company oh, and a right. tugboat captain. And tugboat captain, yeah. Hey, he huh? might have a really interesting yeah, life. I don't know what they yeah. mean. Yeah. In Memphis, I guess, on the yeah. Mississippi. Memphis is fun. Yeah, yeah, on the Mississippi. So after having dinner with Jonah and Adam, she dropped, Rebecca, dropped Jonah off at the hospital around 8 p.m., and she and Adam returned to the mansion. Upon returning to the home, Rebecca retired to the main house, and Adam retreated to the guest house, his usual place whenever he visited. Okay, this is, this is a lot that's gonna, about to happen. Okay. So the next morning at around 6.30 a.m., Adam exited the guest house off the courtyard and was horrified at what he saw. Rebecca Sahau hanging from her neck with a tow line rope slung over the second story balcony. A uh, tow line rope is a rope that they use in nautical uh, instances for towing. Hmm. Which a tugboat captain might right, know. That's why how I mentioned it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it gets puzzling from here. So Rebecca is hanging from the balcony naked. She had a shirt wrapped around her neck with her hands tied behind her back and her ankles bound. According to a report by the sheriff's department, Adam, having seen this, quote, ran to the house to get a knife, pulled a nearby wooden table to the decedent's body, stood on top, cut the rope, and laid the decedent's naked body on the grass. He attempted CPR and at approximately 648 placed a call to 911. Within five minutes, authorities arrived and quickly pronounced Rebecca dead. Okay, so she's hanging mm-hmm. from the same balcony that he came over, maybe. She's on the outside balcony. Oh, yes. outside the house, yes. not inside. Yeah, sorry, different balcony. Yeah. 
Okay, but her hands and her feet are bound. Mm -hmm. She has, and she has something in her mouth, like a a T-shirt in her mouth. Okay. Yeah. Seems like that'd be hard to do yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So because of the bizarre nature of this and ultimately Max's death, the sheriff's department was tasked with figuring out whether this was a homicide and or a suicide. So the little boy does die. He does. Okay. Yeah. So seven weeks after the deaths, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department held a press conference to discuss their findings. They ultimately determined that Rebecca Zahau had committed suicide and Max simply had a terrible accident. There was no foul play in either deaths. According to reports, it was determined that approximately at approximately 12.50 a.m., Rebecca had retrieved a voicemail from her phone. While investigators were unable to recover the voicemail, it is reported that the voicemail was from Jonah, who called to say that Max's condition was worsening and that he likely would not make it. I'm curious to know what y'all think about him leaving a voicemail saying his son is going to die. Do you think he like that's unlikely? I feel like I would want to touch base with the person who's been helping me raise my son for two years, like on like actually tell them and not leave a voicemail. I mean, I'm willing with with grief that anything's possible. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see it if he's just sort of in his list, like updating everybody. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah, like I think mo- like his, his mode. Right. Like, okay. I get it. I he's get in it. operation CEO mode. Just right. Gotcha. So they also noted that Rebecca went to extreme lengths in order to not save herself. According to their investigation, the towing rope from the home's garage was cut into three pieces. She tied one piece around her neck over her long hair, leaving enough rope to drop herself from the balcony and tie the other end to her iron bed frame. Next, she wrapped the sleeves of a turquoise t-shirt around her neck, knotting up a portion to hold in her mouth. She then tied her ankles with the second piece of the rope. And lastly, she bound her arms in front of her in a figure eight style, loosely enough to slip one hand out before putting her hands behind her back so that she could slip her hand back in before clenching it tight. She then shuffled to the window and out to the balcony where she stood on her tiptoes and flipped herself over. She died in less than a minute. Did I explain that okay with the figure eight? Like, can you visualize that? Yeah. So, I mean... I feel like that's a lot of planning that went into this. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the time difference between her hearing the voicemail and being discovered? Well, uh, she was discovered around 6.30 a.m. They think she died between 1 and 3. Okay. The voicemail but, came in at 12.50. I don't know. This is a lot of work to get all this done. Yeah. There's more weird stuff that happens too. Okay. 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 So I want to note that at the time of Rebecca's death, Max had not yet passed, but Max did ultimately die on July 16th, almost a month after his sixth birthday, five days after the accident and three days after Rebecca's death. And there were some odd things on Rebecca's autopsy report that prompted the Zahal family to question whether or not Rebecca actually killed herself. The report showed that there were four separate injuries to her head and remnants of sticky tape on her lower legs. More jarring for me, at least, was what they found painted in black on the wall of the bedroom. In all capital letters, she saved him. Can you save her on the back of the bedroom door? Police. Sorry. You you gotta gotta pause there. What? What the heck? Yeah. Random. Say say it one more time Mm -hmm. slowly. She saved him. Can you save her? Weird. Yeah. Super weird. I have, like, nothing to say. It's the so police, weird. The police say that this is her suicide note. But 
<laughs> I mean, I guess we just have to assume she wasn't in her right mind if it was a suicide note. But like, how can she be saved if she's about to commit suicide? Mm-hmm. Right. So police did know that they found black paint on Rebecca's body and her DNA was found on the paintbrush. So they think they are pretty confident she wrote the note. Right. Right. So the Zahal family, including Rebecca's sister, Mary, say that Rebecca did not like to be naked. So to them, that is another point that to them proves that she did not do this to herself. That is a random fact. Would your family know if you like to be naked or not? <laughs> like uh, your parents and your sister? Well, I think it's a cultural thing. Um, one of them, one of the sisters reported be- they were um, immigrants from, they were uh, Burmese. Hmm. Okay. So um, they said that in the Asian culture that you just don't do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, that might makes have been a, a cultural sense. thing. Right. Okay. Um, but the law enforcement did say, though, that she did sleep naked. So I guess they figured that out somehow. Um, and and it, I guess it's worth noting that I found one of the reports from a um, psychology professor that hanging suicides, uh, nude hanging suicides are uncommon, but they're not completely unheard of. Yeah. I mean, if I, I well, I mean, I, I don't know that I would want anybody to find me nude. You know, so that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still sort of like, did they have any sort of explanation for the note? No, no, other than they just think that that was her 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 suicide note. And was English her first language? Is it possible that uh, I'm thinking not? Okay, so I could see like maybe she intended to say she saved him, but she can't save herself. Yeah. Or she was like highly educated here, though. Um, she not that that matters at all, but she was an eye surgery technician, so she had some. I mean, so she should have known how to yeah, say I would those think so. kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, do y'all think it's weird that she put "Can you save her and not save me"? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a lot of weird things about this. Did she have any um, diagnosed mental health? Not that I could find. No, I mean, I see so many sides to this. Like I see, it, I think in, in one of the reports I saw that Jonah kind of, not he didn't, I was going to say brushed it off, but didn't brush it off. But he explained it in that it was kind of like an honor thing for her. Like she allowed this to happen on her watch to Max. That seemed like a horrible accident. So in her eyes, that was the honorable thing to do. And then obviously her family does not, believe this was a suicide to so to them they're like well we were raised i think they were i think it's a protestant christians like she would never have done this because to her that's that's just not what you do and then another complicated fact to me is that he had not yet died um when that happened when she supposedly did this to herself there's just so many layers yeah and i think the the different cultural background adds you know even more depth to that because you don't know you know, what would be culturally acceptable or what would be expected, mm-hmm. you know? Right. What do you think? No, I, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, I could see maybe having a, I'm not using the the words correctly, but like a psychotic break, you know, right. like that something so dramatic happened mm-hmm. that you've lost kind of touch with like your normal reactions that you would normally do. Um, but... It seems definitely a little presumptive, you know, when he hasn't died yet. Um, and it seems odd that, you know, she would be naked just knowing that there's all the family member around her that will find her. Well, and also, like, he owned a pharmaceutical company. 
you would think the the if she wanted to commit suicide, mm-hmm. like an overdose of pills would be the mm-hmm. obvious and most logical choice. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like the most common way that women commit suicide? I think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, this seems to be a a difficult. I mean, did she have experience with not? <laughs> I mean, right. So the 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 sheriff's department cleared everyone. Said it was a horrible accident and a suicide, but this Howe family did take the Shackney family to civil court. Um, and that was one of their arguments that she would not have known how to do these supposed nautical ties. Well, and you said she had to flip herself over. Mm-hmm. So remember we talked, um, I'm picturing in my head and I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but like almost one of those Juliet balconies. That's what I picture as well. But I, th- I think it was similar, squared off um, but yeah, similar. Right. So we, we've talked about these in previous episodes where like you'll have an exterior door on a second or third mm-hmm. story that will open onto a small balcony. So she started inside and mm-hmm. came outside, but then had to like mm-hmm. vault over mm-hmm. this balcony mm-hmm. in order to hang herself from it. Right. So it wasn't like she, you know, oh God, this is so graphic, but like put something over a rafter inside and then like knocked the chair out from under her. She had to do some sort of flip. Right. Right. To hang herself. Right. Yeah. And I, I not not to be morbid again, um, if I were going to do something like that, I think I would climb out and then just kind of jump, not like flip myself over a balcony. Right. So I remember, I don't know if y'all remember when this story came out, but I remember seeing it when the story came out and automatically I thought ghosts. I don't know why. Because you just, and the ghost. Because <laughs> you are there's like Elena. In the house. Like, I mean, that, this is this is why you did. It's just weird. Just, just some weird, weird things about this. Um, so I guess it's worth noting too, during the civil um, suit against Adam Shackney, the brother, the jury did find him liable for her death, wrongful death. Um, oh, what? Yeah. They awarded her $5 million. He went back and got it on appeal down to, I think, $600,000. But it it was a civil suit, so he didn't do any jail time or anything. So why did, what was the rationale that he did it? I think it had to do, I think it seemed like their big thing was they were home by themselves. Um, The nautical ties, they very strongly believed that that was not her handwriting. Um, Although police say that because it was paint, they can't get, and handwriting analysis on it because it was like a paint thing and not like you're holding a pen or pencil. Um, That makes sense. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And what does Jonah say? I mean, did Jonah support his brother in a civil suit? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He supported him 100%, but he still seems like he was heartbroken about Rebecca, you know, doing this or, or having this done to her. Um, and I also wanted to note that his um, ex-wife, Max's mom, Dina, doesn't have any hard feelings against her. They they did for a while. It seemed like the families were very contentious for a while, you know, right after it happened. Um, Dina has seemed like, in reports that I saw, has since forgiven um, the, the family for trying to blame it on them somehow that there was a death, you know, that Rebecca died. Um, and she seems to have gotten all over all of that. I mean— I do remember when my son was small, you know, you go and you do the yearly checkups Mm -hmm. at the pediatrician. And one of the questions they asked was like, is the kid in a walker? Are you using a walker? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she specifically said, you know, you never want this near the stairs or on the second story. Um, So I think, you know, 
public service announcement, like mm-hmm. definitely things with wheels and lots of momentum on a second story of a house or just a bad idea. Right. I mean, most times you're not going to go over a balcony, but like hitting the stairs and coming flying down the stairs mm-hmm. is an easy and very serious possibility. Yeah, absolutely. I, I still can't wrap my head around him coming, though, with such uh, his center of gravity would have to been all off and the force that it would take to catapult him from the balcony to a chandelier is really, I mean, that's just, it's just weird. It's just it's super weird, weird. But also like what would her motive have been to harm him? I mean, they had all these kids in the house. It wasn't like he was the only one and she mm-hmm. was, you know, trying to to make it just her and him. It sounds like their house was sort of a revolving door of different children and different family members. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like lay blame on anyone because I have no idea what happened, but there was the 13-year-old sister that was in the house as well. I don't know, you know, that, so there's... Could something have happened, just a horrible accident that they tried to cover up. Right. And the dog. I mean, like, you know, I could see roughhousing around Mm -hmm. and a dog Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, accidental and nothing that should have caused her to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you know, you would think that she would know that her boyfriend, which sounds like they were pretty serious, mm-hmm. was going to be grieving so much as is that mm-hmm. she would not want to compound it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2000... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I just needed like a minute to decompress yeah, right. on that. Yeah. This may be one of the saddest stories I feel oh, like we've man. covered. Yeah. So can we like lighten it up? Can we talk more real estate? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So in 2011, Shackney listed the home for $16 million. It was eventually sold to a Utah-based LLC for $9 million. The name associated with the LLC is Richard Harris, owner of Harris Air Inc., a private aircraft company out of Logan, Utah. Okay, so he took mm-hmm. a huge loss yes. on this house. Uh, yes. I saw online that the home had been listed several times at a max list price of $17.9 million, but I couldn't find out if and to whom it sold to. So as far as I can tell, Richard Harris is still the owner. So crime estate junkies, if you have any insight in this, send us a DM because I couldn't figure out who owns it now. So we think he still owns it. That's the best I can tell. If it's sold since then, it has been off and on the market, but I haven't been able to you know, ascertain whether or not it actually did sell. And I, we talked about the beginning, but the hotel, uh, Coronado, mm-hmm. it's uh, across the street from wow. this home. Um, so with that, being in mind, would you buy it, list it, live in it? I don't know why for me this one's so much harder. I definitely couldn't live there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm out on living there in this house. Um, I mean, would I list it? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, it is prime oceanfront yes. property. I can't even imagine. I mean, to me, $9 million seems like such a, and I know that's a crazy absurd amount of money. <laughs> it's nothing. When you're talking about oceanfront property, you know, it's not even the square footage of the lot, but it's like how much of it is waterfront. Mm-hmm. And this, I think you said earlier, was like three lots. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a ton of mm-hmm. oceanfront property. It, that's a heck of a deal, it seems mm-hmm. like to me, but you have to be willing to live there. That's right. Yeah, I mean, generally, I would live anywhere. I think that the red flag for me here is a child and the relatively recentness of the crime. I don't know why it, I mean, it, it shouldn't, but this seems very real. Mm-hmm. Um 
that this occurred since my kids were alive. And right. so it, it well, and was, it's two separate crimes back yeah, to back. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, I mean, or deaths. I'm sorry. Yes, I shouldn't yes. assume crimes, but deaths. it's two separate deaths. But, you know, whatever's going on, there's definitely some bad juju with that house mm-hmm. or ghosts. Well, I was saying bad juju, thinking maybe <laughs> ghosts, but, you know, I love to see how your um, mind goes, too, all yeah. the way. Yeah, I but, yeah, I am surprised that, uh, I mean, this seems like almost like ripe to be bought to be a hotel or mm-hmm. some sort of something like that, just because it's such prime real estate historic home. I could see it, you know, that the Hotel Coronado would buy it to, move, mm-hmm. you know, to expand across it or something. I'm not Yeah. I'm I'm so bummed, um, you know, lightening things up a little bit. My husband had worked at a place for several years, and they did their work trip every year for everybody in the company at the hotel, Del Coronado. Oh. And every year I tried to tag along. And he was like, spouses are not invited. Drop it. It was so much more fun if I were there, <laughs> you know. Like, so I've never been, but I do really want to go. Yeah. So maybe we add that to our list of places yeah. we need to check out. I'm and in. we can have lunch in the fancy restaurant and then, you know, try not to be totally voyeuristic by checking out this house. But I would love to see it in person. Just, you know, what what did you say earlier? Or actually, I think we were talking off Mike, but you were saying that um, Coronado was labeled like the town that Spreckles built right. or something like that. And yeah. so I just think there's so much history there and we're mm-hmm. all three very into like the history of homes and cities. Mm-hmm. And I think that'd be fascinating yeah. to explore. Yeah. Put it on Absolutely. the list. Right. Okay. Well, whew. I feel Sorry. like we oh, need a I big glass of wine. Or, I, I, right yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a fascinating story though. It is. It is. Yes. I agree. Do you know what you're doing next week? Um, no. Okay. I don't, but I'll figure it out this weekend. It's been sort of a busy week. Yeah. We had our kids go back to school mm-hmm. this week and, um, you know, and oh, and I had my wedding anniversary. Well, so right. between the two, I've been, you know, mm-hmm. lots of extra stuff this yeah. week. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Um, you know. All right. Well, we will be back next week. I'm going to um, say we've got a lot of fun stuff going on on our socials. So if you were not following those, Instagram and Facebook. We will absolutely have pictures of the Spreckles Mansion up. So go check those out. Yay. Thank you, Gull. Thanks. Bye. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening and being a part of our Crime Estate family. If you're curious about today's feature Crime Estate, you could find additional photos and details from today's episode online at crimestatepodcast.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime Estate Podcast. Have a crime estate we should cover? Shoot us an email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week.